Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so excited today to be talking about the HBO Max series, Pretty Little Liars, Original Sin. We are joined today by creator, executive producer, and showrunner Roberto Aguirre-Sacase, as well as Lindsay Calhoun-Bring, who's also a creator, executive producer, and showrunner on the series. We have the wonderful Megan Stark-Evans, who is the costume designer for the series, as well as Lisa Sopa, who is a co-executive producer and director of episodes one, two, four, five, and 10. And Roberto and Lindsay, I wanted to start with a question for the two of you, because you know, you've, you've talked very extensively and very specifically about how in telling the story through the show, you wanted to be able to really lean into the heightened elements of the genre and to really be able to honor horror and thriller, you know, film and television and media from over the, the years with the show, but to have it very centrally grounded through its characters and the way that you told the story and brought us into it. Um, and I was just interested kind of in, in the element of finding that balance at the beginning, but also as you've gone through the series, because obviously as the season progresses, the tension becomes much higher, the situations become more heightened. And so I imagine there's even more of a challenge to make sure that you're retaining that balance and always centering it back. And so as you've gone through episode by episode and building these stories out, I was interested in, in how you kind of face the challenge of making sure that that was always the center and the core of the show. Yeah, I, you know, it's, 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 uh, I'll jump in, but Lindsay, please, please jump in. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, we, we obviously love um, the slasher genre, but usually, usually, um, you, you know, you're talking about slasher movies, and, and slasher movies, you know, typically run between 80 minutes and 96 minutes. And, and you aren't, it, there's not a burden of getting invested in characters because you know most of them, you know, will probably be dead by the by the by the the end credits. And slasher shows are hard because you 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 know people will die, but you have to invest in characters over time. And I think one of the things that Lindsay and I, when we were developing the show, we were really really adamant about was that yes, there would be a hugely strong horror element and there would be a mystery element that the girls were solving, but that each of the girls would have their own story that they were driving and that the story would, would develop and that each girl had their own journey that they were going on. And, and Farron was on a, was, was, was sort of dealing with microaggressions in the world of high school ballet, you know, the world of high school ballet as one does. <laughs> and, that, and that Mouse and her family were were still dealing with the with the fallout of a of a of a foiled uh, a failed I should say abduction, and we knew that. So we we were adamant that in addition to the that that uh, the, telling the story about about A and the mystery of A, the girls had a, a personal journey, and and that that always kind of when we broke each episode, we sort of broke them by character and then sort of did a horror break where we sort of like did a pass of the episode and talked about what the horror beats were, what the horror set pieces would be, what those elements would be. But I think it started from, from that, I think, right, Lindsay? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And, um, you know, I think to your question about um, having sort of heightened horror throughout and, and sustaining that one of the things we knew as Roberto saying with really having just individuals, individual stories, core wounds for each girl. We knew that we also wanted to complement heightened slasher horror, which as Roberto said, is so fun in an 80 to 96 minute horror movie. 
but we knew for an ongoing series, we needed to complement that with real stories. And in our minds, that was with grounded horror stories um, that so many of our young female characters go through. And, um, you know, we talked about this show being a horror show, but being a horror show through the female gaze, obviously we're here with Lisa who directed half of our episodes. And part of that for me meant um, protecting the women in our show, uh, protecting their bodies in a way that bo female bodies aren't always protected in a slasher horror film, um, and, and protecting them and making them fully realized characters who we're really invested in. And um, also, I think very early on, and we stuck to this, Roberto and I said that the girls, the leads of the show, the PLLs are final girls, which is a horror trope we love. And we wanted to embrace that with story, making sure that um, every girl had something special, every girl was identified and every girl made it to the end as they do. I love that, you know, and, and speaking of directing, Lisa, I wanted to ask you a little bit about setting up the visual language, especially because, you know, as well as it being that you directed half the episodes that you were directing the first couple and really creating the language that was going to exist for the rest of the episodes as well throughout the series. Um, and I was interested in kind of with that being how Roberto and Lindsay wanted to tell the story, how that influenced the way that you initially saw a lot of the visual language, because there's so many moments where the, the language and the movement of the camera is very much paying homage to the genre. But again, like the script and like the story, it's still always centralizing and bringing us into the story through these five characters. And in particular with like a real intimacy of we're following one particular character's journey in an episode. Great. Yeah. It, the, the, so I feel very spoiled um, with uh, with being able to have a Bible. And, and that's the writing for, you know, from these two wonderful people, as well as the rest of the writers of the writer's room. Um, that's and by having that, that's our blueprint. And it's not just a blueprint that says what's happening in the story. It's that emotional journey that we're going to take. So anytime that we're in doubt and we're thinking about like, oh, is this shot cool? Or is this cool? Is that cool? What is, what's the motivation for our characters? What's the story that we're trying to tell here? What's the journey? And as long as we always go to that point and we, we always bring ourselves back there, that's for me, that's the core of where we're always trying to strive to be. And then everything else kind of comes through that. You know, there's always the homages. There's those beautiful moments, you know, like where we can lean into Psycho or we lean into Halloween or we lean into all of these wonderful genre films. And the beauty of this, too, the difference that we've been able to take with it is flipping the gaze. You know, most of these iconic, wonderful slasher films have been shot and, and shot through the lens of a male vantage point, you know, as Roberto and Lindsay have touched on as well. And this is such a different story because it's really from their perspective, from the girl's perspective. And I think that right there really gave us this formula to, to have like a no fail system. As long as we pay attention to this, we pay attention to that story and we pay attention to these girls, what they're feeling and really get in with them. So it's not that panopticon kind of um, vantage point when you're setting up a camera, it's really getting in and feeling how, what they would be looking at and why they're looking at it, because they look at things differently. You know, we all look at things differently. These girls have a very specific viewpoint and really always making sure to keep that in mind, I think is uh, is really imperative. You know, as these characters, as these girls were finding themselves, you know, we would watch them and we would see like, you know, what is Chandler paying attention to in this moment? And why is she paying attention to this? And then you lean into it because they're also gonna guide us with their with the way that they wanna be. You know, Bailey would do the same thing. All, all, all the girls had their own little personal quirks about them and these beautiful moments of how they would interpret a scene that we would use and lean into. 
I really love that, you know, and that, that brings me over to you, Megan, in terms of the costumes as well, because I love the idea that the idea of the gaze of the show kind of transcends to the costumes as well. You know, it's not about it being very current, high-end, revealing fashion. It's it's very much this kind of timeless sensibility to a lot of the clothing that they're wearing. And even just when you look at the silhouettes that they're wearing as well. Um, and so I was interested in kind of how you found the initial concepts and the initial kind of styles of material and silhouettes that you really wanted to frame each character in at the beginning, particularly with the fact that you've used a lot of, of vintage and, you know, thrifted costume elements within the show as well. Well, it's all influenced. It all comes straight off the page. I mean, Roberto and Lindsay wrote these incredible characters that just jump off the page and they're layered and they have, um, you know, so many elements to them. And that was very apparent just from even reading the pilot before I did the interview. And it allowed me to immediately know where these girls are, where their heads are at, what they've been through, or at least what maybe at that point I thought they had been through. And I was able to take some cues from that. It's always wonderful to have a script that you can actually take cues from. And uh, I would say another thing that influenced was that our show was shot on location in upstate New York. We wanted to be very true to the seasonality of it all. We were there for every season. <clears throat> Excuse me. We were there for all four seasons um, in like the hottest days, the coldest nights, snow, rain, sleet, all of it. And so these girls, not only did they, you know, of course we want them to look good. We want them to look like fun high school girls who are playing with fashion and discovering who they are, but they also need to be able to run from a killer to escape from a boy who's trying to, you know, treat them badly in some way. Um, they need to be ready. And so we wanted to add those layers, you know, realistic footwear. They weren't really wearing heels. They're wearing boots and sneakers and, you know, things that they can move in. They can walk on train tracks. Um, they're wearing coats and scarves and hats. And that all those layers needed to feel realistic to their reality. Um, so when I was going through the design of each character, something that kept coming back to me about Imogen is she has this strong connection to her family and her mother. So I wanted to bring in a lot of elements of her kind of harnessing her ancestors and the power of her ancestors in her clothing to give her strength through what she's going through. So I imagined she might've been digging in her grandmother's attic found old baby doll dresses from the 1960s. Um, she's wearing like old chunky sweaters that could have been her mother's. Um, after her mother passes away, she ends up wearing these two necklaces, a locket and a mother of pearl necklace that her mother was consistently seen in. So it's just those elements. I mean, for me, for myself, I love wearing things that have been in my family for a long time. And I imagined Imogen kind of having this same feeling where she wore a lot of family heirlooms, handmade details like embroidery and um, drew that strength. Of course, also looked at Rosemary's Baby as a big influence, which, put, which really pushed me full throttle into the 1960s influence for Imogen. Um, and then Tabby, Tabby's little edgier menswear girl. She's taking influences from the 80s, even like movies in the early 90s. And I imagine that Tabby, because she wants to be a director, she knows every horror movie, every 
quote from every movie ever, she um, knows that she's going into this industry that's male dominated and she's kind of bringing that with her in her menswear inspired clothing. And then she's also protecting herself with heavier jewelry, lots of rings, almost like her version of brass knuckles. Um, For Farron, she's wearing her um, her identity as a ballerina and her talent as kind of the, its own sort of armor. So she's constantly referencing ballet and all of her clothes. It's knits she can move in, little shrugs. Um, I took cues from the classic ballet color palette of baby pinks and lavenders, baby blues, to um, really keep her in this ballet world that she's so she's holding on to so tightly. Um, and then she goes through a bit of a character arc through the show. So that was also fun to explore. She sort of starts going into a little more streetwear. She goes into more of like a contemporary dance, hip hop influenced space um, with cutouts. And so we get to see her take a little bit of a journey. And then um, Mouse is, because of how it comes off the page, she's obviously kind of um, held back by her mothers because of this tragedy that, or near tragedy that happened to her. So they've kept her in this kind of childlike state. And so Roberto and Lindsay um, and I had talked about like putting her almost in like cartoon characters, Minnie Mouse sweatshirts that her moms might've picked up when they were on vacation at Disneyland. Um, and like novelty sweaters that might've been hand knit by her moms. But she's also, she's very quiet, but I think through all these crazy loud colors that she wears, she's taking, um, that's kind of her voice until she's able to eventually find her voice out loud. And she's putting her own spin on it too. Um, and then for Noah, um, Noah's, also going through so much with her mother, she's clinging to track as her identity. And so I used a lot of vintage jerseys for her um, mixed with short skirts. And it was fun to play with Noah actually uh, showing her ankle monitor, which was the idea of the showrunners and Lisa to um, that she's not really, she's kind of accepted this is a new part of her identity and she's just gonna let it fly and own it. So that was fun. We got to play with like tube socks with the and cool sneakers with the ankle monitor. Um, and then, you know, Karen's always trying so hard to be the best at everything. She's got to be, um, you know, she, she kind of has to prove herself to her parents. And so with that, I took this kind of perfectionistic aspect and thought back to like Jawbreaker and these classic movies where, you know, the mean girl is hot, super put together, but also wearing that like her own armor as well, where you have this, you know, amazingly put together style. You're really like, she wears pearls and little bows. And, you know, you can just tell that she's trying so hard not to let her facade crack and, you know, slowly cracking. (laughs) 
No, I, I love all the intricacy of those details. And, you know, off the back of what, what Megan was saying about the armor of these characters, it's interesting because obviously there's there's the physical threat of A coming after them, but also there's so many emotional armors that they're trying to protect themselves with throughout the series as well. And I think that's one of the things that the show does really beautifully to the point where if you took the storyline with A out, you'd still have a fully fleshed out story with characters. Um, and so within that, you know, Roberto, Lindsay and, and Lisa, I wanted to ask you about the way that you wanted to capture that side of the story so specifically, because that is, again, also just such a universal connective tissue. I think, you know, especially for female audiences, that everybody has some experience that they can relate to within these characters. Yeah, it's so fun. Well, one, you you saying armor and, and Megan, you talking about uh, the fact that we experienced every season in Upstate, it just took me back to sort of a funny onset moment with one of our costumers, Sarah. Um, there was a one night we were on set and I think it was March. It was, you know, not January or December, um, but it was so cold uh, that Sarah had handed me a pair of foot warmers, which was very nice. And I said, oh, thank you. I'm good. I have the, I have some foot warmers in. And she said, no, it's for you to stick on your heart to keep the blood pumping. And I immediately airlifted myself out of the situation. <laughs> it's like, this is psychotic. So um, the armor is so real you know, as far as uh, even playing the seasons and Megan and the costume department did such a great job too of the, the, the looks we wanted to show, making sure that the, our girls were really comfortable and layered and protected. And um, yeah, it's so interesting. This, you know, this actually speaks to something. I had a conversation with Bailey recently and um and Chandler and they were saying you know this set was so different for us as far as what it means to be a young woman in front of the camera and you know oftentimes um what it looks like is people running in and pawing at you and making sure every hair is perfect and making sure your lips are shiny and beautiful enough and Bailey had reflected upon, gosh, I love the genre of horror because oftentimes it's not, is she pretty enough? Is she perfect enough? And I thought, gosh, that's so true. Even with makeup, it was about, you know, bring in more sweat, bring in more dirt, bring in more blood. These girls are going through something. They're running, they're jumping. They are action heroes. They are um, the stars of the show. So uh, I do love that the costumes uh, were function and fashion together. I think that was, that was really important and um you know making sure that we did have such specific characters I, I always point to um Noah who you know it's so in the horror genre to have a chase and how better to set up an amazing chase than with a character who is a track star, who is a runner, so who is athletic. And, um, you know, much like Maya Rafiko, Noah is a beautiful, beautiful person. She likes to dress up. She likes to wear skirts. She can be feminine and can also be a jock. I think that's so what the story says as well in terms of our fashion and our looks for the girls is that um, no one is quite boxed in, I think, uh, uh, on the physical level or on a character level. I love that. And what what did you find to be kind of like the way into that side of things in terms of like the emotional armor as well as the physical for you, Roberto? No, you know, I think, I mean, I think it's funny when we were, when we were, it goes a little bit to what Lindsay was saying, you know, when, when we started developing this show, um, a big difference between this and some of the other shows we've worked on is that it is so female centric. It is, it's so in the DNA of Pretty Little Liars and, and, and by that, it was sort of like this, this light bulb went off that the show was specifically about following a group of young women as they work, make their way through the world. 
and the threats and dangers that they face and not just from a um but from their classmates and their teachers and the boys and and all the people who are meant to help them and it's so different from how boys kind of go 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 through the world and and there are, there are some great moments in in the series where you see for instance Tabby in the in the boys locker room and she quietly sneaks in she's terrified she's going to get caught and then you see two guys come in and they're roughhousing and they're pushing each other you know you see Tabby in her safe space of the movie theater and then a group of jocks comes in we do that throughout the the season and i think it's kind of a great way to visually tell the story of like this is a show about how women young women have to kind of like go out each day knowing that there are dangers and there are threats uh uh and 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 it so that that felt like they all kind of had their their armor i remember um when lisa was when we were first developing the show with lisa and when lisa was getting ready to do her presentation to the network she did this incredible presentation and 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 you know we've worked with lisa for many many years we worked on sabrina together and i cannot say enough how incredible it is to be working with a director who loves horror as much as we do knows every horror movie reference i think that one of the saddest things is when you you'd have a great meeting with the director and you'd be like oh what's your favorite horror movie and they're like oh we don't oh i don't really like horror and it's like okay it's like, how do you teach someone this genre? And it's like, you don't, you know, you've either been watching horror movies since you were six and you were renting Evil Dead at the video store, or it's kind of like, that's it. Like, or it's, so, so, uh, but when Lisa was pre pre preparing, doing a presentation, she sort of um, did the, this be these beautiful collages for each of the girls and she identified each girl as a, a, a weapon and gave them each a signature weapon. So I, I'm sure I'm messing this up, but like Tabby was the hammer and, and uh, Noah was the crossbow. I know I'm, I know I'm messing this up, but, but, but it was, it was, it was exactly right for yeah. the genre that, the, that, that, that the girls had to defend themselves and be ready for battles big and and battles small so it, it it all of that stuff it it really is the the subtext that's working on the show is 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 is, is so spot on from the set design the 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 way it's shot the clothes all of the clothes like like they're they're one of my favorite outfits that imogen wears or one of my one of my favorite episodes where is episode six where Imogen is with Chip. I think that's the baby, the fake Seven, baby yeah. episode. And Imogen's outfits in that, they're so Rosemary's baby. They're, it's, it's, it's like, but her hair is pulled back. She's got a long ponytail. And she, she looks like she stepped out of, out of, out of a, 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 those kinds of movies. Um, and so it feels like everyone was sort of telling the same story and the same secret story. Um, so, and again, it's, 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 you either have that feel and you have those touchstones or, or, or you spend the entire season trying to like get people to watch, you know, and there are hundreds, if not thousands of horror movies. Uh, so it's, so that, that's, that's been a huge, that was a huge kind of 
um, shorthand that we, we kind of develop, developed that was great. I love that, you know, and, and with that vein, Lisa, what was the difference for you in terms of how you wanted to frame these characters when they're in a space where they feel very safe and then moments where there's some sort of external threat coming towards them and, and they definitely feel a little bit more emotionally off kilter in that moment? Um, it was really based on it, each individual situation, because I think that fear lives in tight, closed spaces, but it also lives in big, wide open spaces. It really depends on how we want to shift it, whether it's internal or external horror, which was a huge kind of theme that we always used to bounce back and forward on. You know, you look at the external horror of the show, uh, which is very obviously a, you know, with that stitched up mask and it's very scary. And when, you know, he comes at you, it's like, oh God, no, please. But just as scary, if not sometimes even scarier, are the things that happen inside, which is the hard stuff. And that's the stuff that's that's difficult to make sure that we capture. But, you know, fortunately, with, this, with the story and the, and the wonderful cast and then everything that surrounded it, it became very easy for us, um, where it almost felt like slipping into a warm bath, you know, with these characters and really wanting to take them on that journey. And I think that it's finding those moments of trying to put yourself into those situations and have that that hope of what do you hope that this character is going to do in this situation? What do you think this character is going to do in this situation? And what's the worst that happened to this character situation? Playing different moments, uh, try to get that best balance of that internal and that external horror for, for what we're after. I think that their armor um, throughout the show, you know, there's, there's a lot of different kind of varieties and, and ways that we showed it. Um, but it's very much um, in their words and interactions as far as, as what it is. So it's not a traditional actual piece that they put on or anything like that, but it's those kinds of things. And it's things like, you know, if you want to make someone feel alone, you know, there's, there's this wonderful scene where Mouse is alone at her locker and we just put the camera like up far away in the corner. And she felt very small, like a little mouse um, where anybody could be watching her. And it's, it's very lonely and it, and that, that kind of thing is what we were after with these, or those claustrophobic moments where people are pushing up against someone and it's like, just give me breath, just give me breath, just give me breath. And that's when we play with different uh, size lenses as well. I like to play a lot with wide lenses um, for close-ups so that we feel that whole surrounding world around them. It gives you more of that, um, that kind of human perspective when, when you're in there and it gives you that slightly unsettling perspective as well. I also love that that within kind of the the playing with the genre that that also opened up possibilities like having a big Halloween party at Imogen's house or the carnival element. Um, and how do you feel like scenes like that for all of you allowed you to really open up a lot of the creative choices that you make? Because even the Halloween party episode is so great because it really is that that psychological element of what every character dresses up as tells us something further about who they are as a person. Um, and so I was interested how when you have scenes like that, especially such large ensemble moments in the show how that really opens up some of the scope of storytelling and character exploration in a different way for all of you absolutely that I love the Halloween episode I know Roberto I I, I mean in a horror show you you cannot shy away from an iconic horror uh, Halloween episode and the original PLL did that so well too people so look forward to those episodes so we knew we had to do something special and um, you know as far as the look and the costuming uh, we were all that was quite a collaboration and quite a conversation between all of us and so many of the costumes were very specific to characters we did write them all into the script you know and um, even in terms of back 
background and and our extras, we had a big back and forth with Megan of, you know, what sort of costumes should we be seeing? What are some fun costumes? You know, on, on the day when we're shooting, who do we want behind the counter scooping popcorn with Tabby? Obviously, we need the girl, the young woman dressed from Midsommar. Obviously, we need to see Lydia Dietz. Obviously, we need to see Frankenfurter running around the- I love Frankenfurter. That's my favorite. The Frankenfurter, I think as much as we could, it was always like Frankenfurter step into frame, Frankenfurter step into frame. Uh, that was that was pretty fun and joyous. Um, I think just just trying to find uh, from a character standpoint, trying to find those costumes that each girl would gravitate towards. You know, um, I think Roberto, we loved that no one Sean would become in a couple's costume because at the time they were our formed couple. Um, Morticia and Gomez just felt so perfect for those two people who are so in love and so hormonally charged. It couldn't be, you know, no one Sean are constantly just trying to find places to make out and that just so feels like Morticia and Gomez so are they and um uh you know uh, Zarya as Farron as Poison Ivy that just felt she so embodies that character she you know she her words drip poison she's the most honest character on the show um it was just really fun. Of course, as Megan said, and as, you know, Roberto and I talked about a lot with um, Imogen, Rosemary's baby felt like the iconic, the only way to go with her. And I know, Megan, there was a big back and forth of exactly what's the most iconic Rosemary's baby look. It has to be the blue nightgown with the butcher knife. And um Mouse was a hilarious one. I will say from a uh, uh, mouse was, you know, we, Roberto and I have talked a few times a day about the process of clearances. Uh, clearances, uh, clearances waits for no woman or man. We, I think Mouse went through four or five different iterations of what her costume was going to be, um, what she was going to be dressed as when she went trick or treating with Steve. I think we had tried Wonder Woman. Um, that didn't work. I think we had tried having her as Princess Leia, which is something we were able to show quickly but we couldn't show for the whole scene and um we ended up going to something on a on a story uh on a story standpoint that felt very childlike and very innocent which was Wendy the Witch um also a you know an iconic uh comic book character and uh as we say in the as we say in the show the iconic Hillary Duff uh movie but uh Mouse that was a tricky one and um and Megan you of course can speak to this but I know with that costume um you in the costume department had to build that costume and so many of the costumes for the Halloween episode so I think the looks are the looks are so special there yeah I think we built uh it was it ended up being 125 background costumes from scratch and then every single one of the characters the principal's costumes were built from scratch or you know altered to customize I actually think we got so excited about the Halloween episode that we might have made more like 175 background costumes Amazing. and we had to start like Sophie's choicing at all um but it was so fun Mouse's uh Wendy the Witch costume was an interesting challenge though because that that hat we first made a hat and it was massive I mean it almost looked like a hat that would be in like a Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah. It was cool, but it was huge. It would have never worked for camera. So we went back to the drawing board and ended up making it a hood with like a little jaunty wiring um, kind of elfin like <laughs> witch hat. Um, and it worked. Yeah, it worked well. And then you guys wrote in that brilliant line about the Teletubby. <laughs> 
That's, that was so, that was so funny. Yeah. We, we always had this, like, what's the toxic thing that Tyler can say to mouse. And, you know, if she was princess Leia, it's like, want to see my lightsaber that's it. There were so many iterations of that. And it's like, God, what can you say to Wendy the witch? And um, I think my husband actually pitched me that tinky winky line. So that's, that's pillow talk for my husband and I is pitching each other lines for TV shows now. Um, I failed to mention one PLL and this is so speaks to your question, Mara, about um, how character and story influence even you know our Halloween costumes. Tabby, of course, is the one PLL who had two a costume change on Halloween. She plays two, she wears two iconic character costumes. And obviously she's Ellie Sattler at work. She's obsessed with Jurassic Park. It's her favorite movie. And um, we loved that look for her, uh, Megan, that you and the team put together. And then uh, we, I think Roberto and I talked about this in the room, talked about this, like Tabby's a movie buff. Tabby, uh, she goes hard on Halloween and she's going to want to change. And um, I think we'd all written in. Uh, oh, and then she should be Ripley. She should be a badass female horror character for a badass showdown. And I think seeing Tabby in that jumpsuit and such a powerful, iconic look as she takes down Tyler, um, I think and hope that emboldened Chandler too, because I do think there's something very different. Um, by the way, I'm, I'm equal opportunity for all Halloween costumes, but I think in a moment like that, that's so vulnerable for a character, there's something to dressing as like a, a skimpy nurse and having, or, or there's something to having a young woman really centered and pa powerful and on, on a really strong costume as she takes down this character who's the embodiment of toxic masculinity. So I loved seeing her in that, that Ripley jumpsuit was amazing for that scene. I have to say my favorite deep reference for a background costume, which I, I, I think showed up a bit in the cut, was the Lair of the White Worm, which came from Lisa, That's and Lisa. it was so good. I feel like I'm going to have to go back and watch that episode just to kind of catch even more of the, the costumes on each watch. Well, you know, I'm so impressed with what you've all done um, with this iteration of, of Pretty Little Liars. It's, it's such a great season. It's been such a great ride and incredibly impressed with all of cr the creative work you've all done. And thank you so, so much for talking all about it. Really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. So thank nice you. to see everyone.